We have been in a series called the Holy Spirit, and over the last several, several weeks, we're almost done, we're about to land this plane here pretty quick, but part of the reason, the main reason for this is that when we, we got to be people of the Word, right? No question about that. If we're going to claim to be Christ followers, then we have got to have a foundation of which our beliefs are built upon. And if that is not Scripture, then it is all for naught. Your opinions are irrelevant unless it is founded in truth. The biggest adherence to truth is to assume that you've already had it. So when we do this, it was part of this in my heart and what I felt like the Lord was leading us to do was to go through and let's just break down the third person of the Trinity. Because you can go to church to church with no problem of God the Father and God the Son. But you bring up the Holy Spirit, you better be prepared for all sorts of different types of answers. And so over the last several weeks, we broke that down. Who is he? What does he do? Is he a person? We've gone through all of that. Last week, we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a big distinction there. And if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to it because we broke all of that down. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of it has to do with simple language. The Bible talks about three baptisms. The first one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is salvation. We are baptized into Christ and of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit is the one who does it. That's 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about that we're baptized into one body, which is Christ. The second one is the baptism in water. And again, we have no problem with that one. We can accept that one easily. Why? Because we've been practicing that for thousands of years. It's just what the church does. But the last one is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's where it gets a little wacky. That's where things get confusing. That's where things get messed up. And so in that, we broke down Scripture, what it talks about, who it is that Jesus is the one that actually baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That was the prophecy that was coming forth that, that, that John talked about, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, I should say. I actually had somebody ask me that. It's like, so if he was Baptist, does that mean everybody else is wrong? I'm like, no, that's not how that works. That's not what that means. Bear with me here. You know, but, but, but besides that, is that we see that all through Scripture, we see a pattern even into the Old Testament, and we got into the tabernacle a little bit and all sorts of stuff. Like I said, if you didn't hear it, you need to go back and listen to it because there's a lot of good information in there. And so this week's message is going to build upon that. And I thought about titling this one, The Holy Spirit, He's Not Weird. I decided not to. The Holy Spirit, is He charismatic? That's what I wanted to talk about, is, is He charismatic? Because there's all sorts of definition to what a charismatic is. There's a cultural definition, there's a definition kind of in the mindset of people, and then there's, of course, a Bible definition. So I've got a quick video I want to show you that would give you an idea of the cultural definition of charismatic. Daniel, go ahead and hit that. When you get four prophetesses in a room, you better get ready because an explosion is going to happen. Ooh. Tonight is a night for people that are ready to receive. Oh, oh my God, this is real. Come on! Oh. Oh. Move over, there's a prophet in the city. It's a new TV show coming out. Aren't you excited? I'm excited. I can't wait for it. I hope that lady chews gum. I mean, good Lord. But that is the cultural definition of charismatic. You say that to anybody, that is what most think of. The question is, is that, is that biblical? See, these are prophetic ministry is what they're claiming to be. Is it biblical that there's a prophetic ministry? Absolutely. The Bible talks about that. 
Are there, is there anything wrong with dancing in the Lord and, and worshiping God that way? No, nope, the Bible talks about that. So what is charismatic? What, what is it? One of the questions I get asked all the time is, and it's even with this church, I've talked to a few people around town, are you guys charismatic? And I've, I have to say, well, that really depends on what you mean by that. If you mean we're swinging from chandeliers, doing backflips, and in some people's mind, sacrificing chickens, then no, of course we're not. If you were meaning that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who was promised by the Father to give at the day of Pentecost that every believer can have in order to walk the Christian faith and walk in the power that the Holy Spirit provides, then absolutely we are charismatic. But it depends on what you mean by that word because, again, we've, we've, we have just completely screwed up the definition of that word. But when we look in the Bible, where does the word charismatic comes from? And this is where we want to go to. So we kind of saw a little bit of the cultural definition, but the word charismatic comes actually actually from the Greek word charisma, which is broken down into two words. The first one being charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, which means simply grace. Grace, it's real simple. Ma, you put that on the end, means gifts. So charisma is grace gifts. It's the gifts of grace. The Holy Spirit gives gifts that we don't deserve. That's what the whole thing is. Do we deserve salvation? Not a chance. Did we deserve that Jesus gave his life on the cross for us? Of course we didn't. It was while we were still in our sins that Father, the Father gave his Son to, be, to reconcile us back to him. So that's what it is. That's who we are. It is this gift, this grace that is given to God. I, I put it this way. Charisma is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. I'm going to read that again because that was long in case you're taking notes. Or you can go back and listen to this. I'm trying to speak slow. Charisma is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to focus our attention on today. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As always, I'll have it up on the screen that you can follow along if you didn't bring a Bible. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to dive into Scripture today to see what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to touch on these because to do this completely in depth would take several weeks upon itself. And this is stuff that we can study on our own time, but we've got to have an understanding. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And I'm going to explain that here in just a minute, the now concerning part. I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In the beginning of this, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts and goes on what he's referencing to that is first corinthians is actually the second letter to the church of corinth we don't have the first letter so he had written a letter they had written back he's responding that and you see it all throughout first corinthians says now concerning this now concerning that now concerning this he's referencing a letter that was written to them but this is actually the second letter he answered a bunch of questions in a letter that we believe that he wrote to them before and here he is again and it talks about that in verse 4 now concerning spiritual gifts brother i do not want you to be 
ignorant. We need to focus on that. Why, what is the point of him writing the letter and writing this portion of it? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. The problem is today we have a lot of people who are ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're ignorant. A, because they want to be. Or two, because they've been taught wrong their entire life and have never taken the time to study what the Bible says. We are opinions. Our opinions are too often formed by bad teaching, by bad um, seeing things on TV. You know, why do you think people actually believe that when a bell rings, an angel gets its wings? People believe that from a great movie. It was a great movie. But people actually believe that. And people also believe that when somebody dies, they become an angel. Why do they believe that? They've seen it. They don't know anything. I actually saw a comment on Facebook today from somebody who is not a Christ follower. And you know how I know they're not a Christ follower? Because the fruit of their life does not point to that. So I have no problem in saying this, but somebody I've known for several years. And somebody put something up, thank God he forgives sins or something like that. And, and her response was, is like, yes, thank God he forgives all of our sins. The part that that whole thing is leaving out is when you repent. You see, the mindset of people today is that God is just loving and therefore He forgives all sins and everything just kind of goes away. But it's not like that. That's not what the Bible tells us. We have to be founded in the truth. And so again, that's where we are. So we look at this. The church of Corinth, it wasn't a Jewish congregation. It was a Gentile one, which means they didn't grow up under the law. They didn't grow up under the teachings of Torah or anything like that. They didn't grow up with all of this stuff. It was a very, very wicked city. Horrible city. Some of us joke around, we call it the Church of California. Okay, because that's the way we look at it. It's full of fruits and nuts and all sorts of good stuff. It's kind of the granola belt. Two of the top sins that were going on in there had to do with money and sex. Does that sound familiar at all? should sound a lot like America. Money and sex. What are the two things that drive most people? Money, sex. Most decisions are made based on money and based on sex. It's sad, but that's the world we live in. Here, the goddess of Aphrodite was in Corinth, and I'm sure you've heard of her in different things, that this was this goddess or whatever. And so here it is, these people need instruction on the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit. There's a word activities, or in the Greek it means energomat, which means simply energy. It's where we get our word energy that comes from, uh, where that comes from, and it's talking about how the Holy Spirit brings power into the life of the believer. So let's jump down to verse 4. I'm going to pick it up right there. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversity of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. There's that word activities. Okay? Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We'll go back to that. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation tongues of tongues, excuse me, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So I'm going to back up there. We just read this whole chunk. First thing you should notice is that Nowhere did it say in there that he will distribute those as he will until a certain point in time and then they go away. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything about them disappearing. Okay, so that's the first thing. Let's jump up to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The word manifestation should jump off the page to you on that. 
Because what are we here today? We see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And what you saw in that video were some things that are called the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What did the Bible just tell us is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? It's these gifts, right? Prophecy, tongues, interpretation tongues, faith, miracles, healings, all of that. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Where do we get that any of that has anything to do with that? Does that mean that Spirit can't move in a way that touches people and lives are impacted? Absolutely, of course He can. But here it is. He's telling us what the manifestation of the Spirit is. What we've done is as a church, as a charismatic movement, quote-unquote, we've perverted that. So getting back to what it is, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each individual, not for yourself, but that all would profit from it. And again, this is where we mess up. We assume that when the Holy Spirit's touching me, that it's just for me. When things are happening in my life, it's just for me. That's not what this is telling us. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it is explaining, Paul is breaking down the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll go into this a little bit more in depth next week. But, but the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they operate inside of the church setting. The problem is, is that we've stepped away from not just allowing it to manifest inside of the church setting, but this isn't, is intended to be used outside of the four walls of this building, and we don't do that. We don't walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in those. So, in verse 11, it says, distributing to each one individually as he will. So here's what I'm going to say. The gifts are owned by the Holy Spirit. No one believer has one of these gifts, Okay? We can operate in all of these gifts, but we don't own any of them. They're owned by the Holy Spirit, distributed as He wills. And you're going to see that more in a little bit. He has all of these gifts, and He gives them to each believer as He will. Any believer can at any time use these gifts as the Holy Spirit wills. So what am I saying? Is that What I'm saying is that there isn't just somebody operating in the gift of healing all the time. There are times where that may come upon them as the Holy Spirit leads. That's what I'm saying. We'll get more into that in just a minute. But when we break these down, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we break them down into three categories. The first one would be the discerning gifts, which is the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and words of wisdom. We also call this the perceiving gifts. And so in this, to explain this a little bit, because there gets a little bit of confusion on this, but you'd be amazed of how many times you as an individual have actually operated in the gifts of the Spirit and may not even have realized what was happening in your life. So the first one is the word of knowledge. And here's the definition for that. To know something specific without having learned it by natural means. To know something specific without having learned it by natural means. The Holy Spirit tells you something that you didn't learn, but you just kind of know it. You see this happen in the lives of individuals. You see that with the woman at the well with Jesus, right? She sits there, they're talking, they're conversing, they're going back and forth. And so he says, go and get your husband. She's like, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five and the man you're with now is not your husband. How did he know that? Too often we say, well, he's Jesus. He kind of knew everything. No, no, no. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came down and stayed upon him, which was a sign to everybody who the Messiah was, because that was the first time that that had happened. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came down, but he would lift. He wasn't on people all of the time. He had word of knowledge. I actually heard a story. There's a guy named Robert Morris, pastor down in Texas, and he was telling this story one time. He was sitting in a coffee shop. 
And he looks over, and there's this giant buff guy, obviously a weightlifter. Turns out he was like a Mr. Olympia, much like myself. You know, we kind of, we can jive together in that, relate to one another. I more have the body of a melted candle, but that's besides the point. But so he's sitting there, and the Lord tells him to go talk to him and gives him a word of knowledge for his life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting there facing at a guy who could crush me with his pinky, I get a little intimidated. It's like, uh, okay, are you sure? So he goes up to him and he says, you know, he goes in and says, hey, uh, lift weights at all? And the guy's like, yeah, once in a while. And, and he says, look, this is weird, but I, have a, I, I feel like I have a word from the Holy Spirit for you. Is it all right if I tell you? And the guy says, sure. And he said, you know, when you were young, your grandmother prayed and you'd always got picked on in school and all of that. And the Lord's told you that if you... Um, will follow God for all of your days, that he'll give you the strength of Samson. And so he's sitting there and he said, the Lord wanted me to tell you that God did his part. You didn't do yours. Now, this is something you really want to be right on because, again, that could turn sour. But here it is. And the guy starts crying and he's like, I was just talking to my wife about that story 10 minutes ago. Again, here he is operating in a word of knowledge, something that there's no way he could know. And there are different times. I've done that, man. I, I remember in this building several years ago, we had a youth lock-in in the back, and we brought a bunch of kids over. I think we brought like 60 or 70 kids over to that thing. And, and Pastor Craig, if you remember him, was preaching, and we were just having a time, an altar time, and there was a gal there who had her hands up and was crying, and the Lord gave me a word into her life, and I walked up, started praying for her, and she just broke down and started bawling. Why? Because the Lord was trying to get a hold of her heart. And so showing himself real to her in that situation. Do I do that all the time? Of course not. It's as he wills, as it's necessary, and as I yield to it. The second one of that is discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. And again, we just read all of these in 1 Corinthians 12, so I'm just breaking these down. Discerning of spirits is this. Be, to be made aware of the presence of an evil spirit. Okay? Pretty simple. To be made aware of the presence of an evil spirit. This is not called the gift of discernment. There is a big difference between the gift that is discerning of spirits and the gift of dis discernment. We're told to discern all throughout Scripture. We don't need a gift for this. There is no gift of discernment. I want to make that clear. If you've ever had anybody come up and say, I have the gift of discernment, what they really have is the gift of gossip or the gift of not minding their own business a lot of time because they're just critical of all things. I'm discerning. You know, no, you're critical. That's what you are. There is no gift of discernment, but there is a discerning of spirits. You see this in Acts 16, which is where Paul is going around preaching, and there's that little girl following around, and she's saying, this, these people are followers of the Lord who will lead us to salvation. And this goes on for several days. Finally, Paul turns around and casts out the demon. He ends up going to jail over the whole deal. But why did he do that, and how did he know? What was she saying that was wrong? There's nothing in there that points to anything that you could say, oh man, obviously she's possessed by the devil because she's telling everybody that that's the guys that follow God and they'll show you the ways of salvation. This was a discerning of spirits. We're seeing that in operation in Scripture. I mean, in this, it'd be very nice. I don't know about you, but this gift is used when things, when we're under attack, when somebody's under attack, when there have been times that, that we were 
we've been praying and stuff, and then I can see, I don't see little imps or anything like that jumping around, but, but we know that this is a spiritual thing that's going on, and we take the authority that God has given us over those circumstances. That's what it's for. But the gift of discernment does not exist. I want to make that perfectly clear. The next one, word of wisdom, and I need to get, get moving here. Word of wisdom, divine answer or solution for a particular event. It's a divine answer or solution for a particular event. And I guarantee you, we've all operated at one time or another in this one. If you're a Christ follower, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, there are times that this has happened to you. And word of wisdom and word of knowledge get mixed up very, very often. I'm going to explain it here in just a minute. But I want to go to John chapter 9 and, and starting at verse 29 here. But and I just want to tell the backstory of this. This is where the blind man was healed on the Sabbath, where Jesus spit on the ground, and made the mud, mixed the clay, whatever, rubbed it on his eyes, said, I want you to go over to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And so all the Pharisees are having a big problem with this because he comes out healed. Everybody sees it. They know what's going on. He said, oh, it was this man of God. And they're like, it can't be God. He sinned. He did this on the Sabbath. We don't do anything on the Sabbath. It's, we don't work. We don't, how can a sinner do a sign of God? Okay, so here we are, John chapter 9, starting in verse 29. We know, this is the Pharisee speaking, that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, referring to Jesus, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered, yeah, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now, I want you to watch what happens here. This man is blind. That means he has never read anything of Scripture. He's born blind. How did he know that that was the Son of God? How did he know? He had no idea. Again, we see the Holy Spirit revealing things to him that he didn't know. And so he makes this, and later on, I mean, he completely gives his life to Christ. We see the Holy Spirit in operation here, showing him who the Son of God is. And the Pharisees have a huge, huge problem with this. And this Jesus is bucking the system that wasn't of God, that was man-made rules and regulation, nothing that God had ever said that you couldn't do. When you've been praying for something and you don't know what to do, and then all of a sudden, an answer comes to you. All of a sudden, it's just something pops in your head. That is a word of wisdom is I don't know what to do, and all of a sudden, here it is. Sometimes in business, if you've ever been in business, and you're like, do I do this, or do I do that? I've got to make a change, I've got to do, do I buy this, do I not buy this, whatever the case may be. And then suddenly it's just like, man, i got to, I got to go, I just I don't know why, i just got to do this. That's a word of wisdom. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, that's where it operates more often than not. This is more so individually where we see it. Or a word of wisdom is that you're praying with somebody, and then the Lord opens something up to you that you say, I think this is where the Lord is leading. Because what happens to somebody who is really down or going through a tough time? Sometimes their head's not clear. They're not hearing the Holy Spirit for themselves. That's why we come together to build them up. This is the this great part about it. So those are what we call the um, discerning gifts. The words of knowledge, the words of uh, wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. The second one is called the declarative gifts. Excuse me, Declarative gifts or the proclaiming gifts which is prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. 
And these are the ones that we're probably most familiar with. These are the ones that we hear about, we talk about, we, 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 we put into practice probably more often than not. But prophecy in and of itself is this, a message of encouragement from God person to a person or persons. Message of encouragement from God through a person to a per, from a person to a person or persons. This is not correction. Okay? It's not correction. The, the Bible says that it is for the edification, exhortation, or comfort. That is what prophecy is. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a message of encouragement, not discouragement. If somebody prophesies something over somebody that is discouraging, you know immediately by comparing it to Scripture, that is not from God. That's how we do that. 1 Corinthians 14 and 31. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be what? Encouraged. This one verse is full of lots of really good information. For you can all prophesy. Are you an all? I'm an all. We're all an all. We're all an all. We can all do it, but we do it one by one. This is order in the church of how Paul is telling us we need to do this. If we're going to do it, we've got to do it right. That all may learn and all may be encouraged. It is for the edification, exhortation, or comfort of the individual or individuals. That is what prophecy is. The next one is tongues, and we're going to talk about this the whole time next week because we have a misunderstanding of what tongues is in the body of Christ today. Okay, so we're going to go through this because we need to be prepared to give a defense. If we're going to proclaim that something is of God and real and in the way that we do it, we need to have Scripture to back it up, and that's what we're going to do next week. Tongues is this, a message from God unknown to the person through whom the message comes. A message from God unknown to the person through whom the message comes. What we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is the clarification that Paul is doing, separating a prayer language from the gifts of tongue. There are four uses of tongues, and I will explain them all next week. I'm not doing it this week, so you better be here because you want to hear that. But he's, he's breaking it down. He's explaining the difference between the public use and the gift of tongues, what we saw in Acts 2, which is the public use. They all heard, they heard their own languages and all of that. How can they do that? They're simply, they're crazy people. They're all drunk, whatever. You know, this isn't right. But it was a, it was a sign to the unbeliever. There's a separation that goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 between that and, and the other part. But one of the parts in here, it says, when you have unbelievers or uninformed people, we don't do it. And this is something that we've messed up in the church. Let me read this, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And the answer to that is, yes, that's exactly what they will say. These people are nuts. I have seen that happen. I've seen where the church comes together and they all begin to just pray in tongues. We're not edifying one another. We come together corporately. But there are people there that maybe don't believe or don't know or they're uninformed or they're uneducated or whatever. They're unbelievers. And they're like, what is wrong with these folks? They get the same reaction that you got in Acts 2. They're all drunk. What's wrong with these crazy people? You know, here it is, Paul is saying. Now, does that mean that when a group of believers come together that they can't do that? Of course not. Because if there's nothing but people who believe together, if, if Jim and I and Janet and a few others wanted to get together, and obviously we all believe, we've been taught through Scripture, we understand it, and we're going to sit there and we're going to pray in the Spirit, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Somebody walks through the door that doesn't know what's going on, time to shift gears. Again, we're separating what Paul is saying, uh, and we're going to break this all down next week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that. The last one is interpretation of tongues. And this is the understanding or expressing the thought or intent of the message in tongues. The thought or intent. Understanding or expressing the thought or intent of the message in tongues. This is, again, it's, those are very big words there. I'll read it one more time. Understanding or expressing the thought or intent of the message in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.5 says this, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. And if you've ever heard somebody saying the tongues are around, he's saying you should prophesy and not speak in tongues, you know, in a church service especially, because, you know, that has nothing to do with anything. But this next word, unless... Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive the edification. What is Paul saying here? That when a tongue is interpreted, that is just like prophecy. I wish you would all prophesy unless the tongues are interpreted. Because then it edifies the body. Okay? Again, we'll go into that a little bit more detail next week, but I'll, I'll just say this real quick. If you've ever been in one of those situations where a tongue would go forth or something, and then there's an interpretation where it's a very long tongue and a very short interpretation, or a very short tongue and a very long interpretation, I've actually heard people say that that, that is um, signs that this isn't real, it's just fake or whatever. And that doesn't mean that every time that happens, that's real. We test everything against Scripture. But, but the bottom line is this, is that this is the word interpretation, not translation. There's a big difference there. If you've ever been overseas and you've had an interpreter who oftentimes, well, and Jim talks about this when his wife translates for him, that she translates. Jim says something and she tells everybody what Jim meant, not what Jim said, right? In fact, if you've ever been married, that's, that's the world we live in, folks. I'm feeling it. Heat up here. My wife's staring at me. Translation is word for word where interpretation is expressing the thought or the intent. Again, it's the interpretation of tongues. We're not translating some foreign language. Okay, Moving on to the last one, the dynamic gifts. We're almost done. Dynamic gifts or the power gifts is what, another one. This comes from the word dynamo. It's the Greek word that means power. It's where we get our word dynamite. We like to blow stuff up in this country because we're Americans. That's what we do. And we spend thousands of dollars for the privilege every 4th of July. These, this is faith, healing, and workings of miracles. The first one is the gift of faith. It's the supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. Supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. If you've ever been in a situation that seems hopeless and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm just not worried about it. I am confident. Those are the gifts of faith. You know, there are times that believers step out because God tells them to do it, and it can be a scary situation, but you just, all of a sudden, you just have the ability. You just believe God for these great things. Every time we lay hands on somebody that they be healed, we're doing it in faith. The next one is healing. Superna is this, supernatural endowment of divine health. Supernatural endowment of divine health. The Holy Spirit has the gift of healing that he gives to the individual. This is not something that is possessed or retained by an individual. There's ministries out there that are healing ministries. That means that when they pray for people, they get healed. And people will flock to those ministries as if 
that's the only person you can go to that can, can minister healing to somebody. There's a reason that Jesus didn't stay on this earth. He said, I'm sending somebody else. It's better that I go. Because he'll send the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that these people that claim to act off in the supernatural of healing and all this stuff, where a healing ministry and all of that, is off base? Not necessarily. I mean, there are legitimate people out there. There's a ministry that was very vibrant back in the 70s and 80s that today is still trying to be vibrant, but not so much, that their tagline is, we operate in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, as if they have control over that. And they don't. And there's a reason that their ministry isn't as vibrant as it was at one point. The last one is working of miracles. Divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. Divine interventions that alters our natural circumstances. The reason we know that God still does miracles today is because He's immutable, which means He's never changing. If He did miracles in the past, He does miracles today. He's immutable. If He gets up in the morning, He's doing miracles. That's who He is. Healings and miracles, both of those are used, and they're both plural words. They're used because it's not a one-time thing. It happens for everybody. It happens all the time. It's for everybody because everyone is important to God. One person doesn't have this, doesn't operate in all of this. If one person has all of this and we can't get to that person, we're in trouble. And you see this in what Jesus is saying in John uh, chapter 14, really John 14 through 16, because he says, I'm going away, but somebody else is coming. And this is in the context of the Holy Spirit who's coming upon everybody. John 14, 12 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Here you have, he's, getting, he's preparing his people, saying, I'm getting ready to go. It's better for you that I'm not here because the Holy Spirit's going to come. The promise of the Father is going to come upon you and you will be able to do and act in the power that you have seen me act upon. The things that I've done greater than these things will you do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you the power from on high. And so here's what he's telling them in a, in a nutshell. Um, you guys better say your goodbyes to me because I'm getting ready to go. I'm leaving. I'm going to the right hand of my Father. The Father and I are going to leave you as orphans. We're going to send the Holy Spirit to you who will lead you and guide you into all truth and tell you things that are to come and do you with power from on high. If you need something from God, it's the Holy Spirit who gives gifts of grace to every person that will receive them. It's the same thing with salvation. And this is the problem. We make these things into some great mystery as if certain people can do this and other people can't. And that was not the intent of what Scripture tells us. That's not how these things were laid out. It talks about how all of us act these out as we walk with God underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. When we lay hands on the sick, they recover. Not because of us. We're just simply doing what God told us to do. We're just simply allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. But too often, we get in the way and we make it charismatic. We put on a show. We make it a big song and dance, and we make it this huge deal. And really, all we're doing is just working a crowd when it comes right down to it. We get caught up in the emotion of it, and we miss out on what the Holy Spirit's really doing. Again, that doesn't mean that every circumstance is like that. 
But we've got to have Scripture telling us exactly what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is. There was an evangelist named William Branham. If you're familiar with him, if not, I've got a DVD that talks about his ministry. He's back, I don't remember, 40s, 50s when he was. But he had an incredible healing ministry. I mean, incredible. And this guy operated in a word of knowledge that few do today. And part of it was, I mean, he'd come up to you and he'd say, your name is whatever it is. And he said, you live on this and this street. And this was days prior to they had the technology where guys can fake this kind of stuff. I mean, if they faked it, they did a masterful job at it. Let's put it that way. But people would come up and he'd say, hey, what's wrong with you? And he'd say, oh, my arm hurts. He's like, okay, your arm be healed in the name of Jesus. How you feeling? Oh, it feels good. Okay, have a great day going. Next. There was no song and dance. There was no pomp and circumstance. There was no people doing backflips off the stage or anything like that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not just the emotion of people. He's real. His power is real. What we do is as we've done since the day, since day one, is we pervert the Word of God. We've allowed Satan to get in and take control of this and make the Holy Spirit seem weird. And that's why there's such a debate about tongues. That's why we'll talk about this next week. Is because I believe that the Holy Spirit has gone out there and made it controversial. I said the Holy Spirit. The devil has gone out there and made it controversial. The Holy Spirit made it controversial. That's what he did. No, the devil went out there and made it controversial. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, they now have the power to do everything that Jesus did on this earth. And that's the power that we walk in today.